Good morning, Skillman Church of Christ. It is once again a great joy to be able to worship with you all online today. A special thank you to Ryan and Rebecca Cole for an amazing welcome and call to worship, to Alice Henry for today's scripture reading. Thank you to June Martin and Diane Hardy for your thoughts on hope. And I must say, what a special surprise to have some international guests participate in the service today, all the way from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Lee and Cassie Branch, it was so great to see your faces and thank you for your amazing communion thoughts this morning. So uh, today, today is August 30th, and this is significant for at least two reasons. Number one, this is the last Sunday in August. And as I say these words, I'm amazed at how fast this year has flown by. Anybody with me? I mean, I can't believe that September (laughs) is already around the corner. Secondly, uh, this Sunday marks the end of our season of Advocating Hope here at Skillman. When, uh, when 2020 first started, we divided the year into three distinct sections that align with our vision of being disciples of Jesus who live by faith, who advocate hope, and who are known by our love. And the first part of the year, if you remember, we, we focused on living by faith and our teachings centered upon growing in our intimacy with God, discipleship, spiritual disciplines. And we shifted in the month of April to our season of Advocating Hope, where for the last several months, our teachings have focused upon social justice and service and advocating a message of liberation to those that are marginalized and the oppressed. And this Sunday marks the end of this season. But next Sunday, we begin a new season where our teachings here at Skillman will focus upon love and how we as a spiritual community can be known by our love I mean, we, have, we also have a special surprise for you. To kick off our season of being known by love, we've asked a special friend of this church to give the message all the way from California. Our friend and brother, Joel Sanchez, will be presenting the Sunday message. And I'm excited. I know for many of you, will bring back great memories of when he preached here. So spread the word. Tell your friends because you are not going to want to miss out next Sunday. But today... As we conclude our season of Advocating Hope and our series on the Kingdom of Heaven, I'd like to begin with a statement that is true as Christians and let this statement sink in. As Christians, we are citizens of God's kingdom and Jesus is our king. And we can have peace today because as Christians, we are citizens of God's kingdom and Jesus is our king. We can have hope because we are citizens of God's kingdom and Jesus is our king. And Jesus reminds us of this in today's text that Alice Henry read so eloquently from the book of Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. This passage tells the story of the time when the Pharisees and the Herodians teamed up together in an attempt to get King Jesus in trouble. They asked Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or no? You see, these guys are smart because this is a catch-22 question. They're trying to pin Jesus into a gotcha moment because there is no right answer to this question. If Jesus says, yes, it is lawful to pay taxes, then he's a sellout to his people. He'd be viewed as a sympathizer to Caesar and the Roman Empire. But if he said no, he could be accused of encouraging those to break the law and be viewed as an enemy to the state. It's a, it's a terrible question. It's a, it's a no-win situation. Either way, Jesus is going to offend somebody. The two groups that were trying to trap Jesus in Mark chapter 12 
They're the, the Pharisees and the Herodians. And I think it's so interesting because these two groups, they had radically different political visions of how they thought the world should be. The Pharisees were the conservatives who advocated stricter adherence to the law. And this tax was a specific sore spot for the Pharisees because they wanted religious freedom. And if the Pharisees were the small government people, the Herodians, they're the opposite. They were the revolutionaries in favor of overthrowing the entire system in hopes that they could return to absolute power themselves. These were two distinct groups with two distinct sets of values, and yet they shared in their distaste for Jesus. So we see in Mark chapter 12, it's a, a bipartisan effort to try and trap Jesus in his words. And they asked Jesus this no-win question about the tax, but our text says that Jesus knew it was a trap. He saw their hypocrisy, and in a surprising move, Jesus asked them to give him a coin. And Jesus takes this coin, and he asks the crowd, whose image is on this coin? And they say, Caesar's image. And then he asks them again, whose inscription is on this coin? And again, they say, Caesar. Then Jesus looks at them. He drops the mic and he says, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. You see, you can't pin King Jesus. He didn't fall into their trap. In fact, he threw it back to them. And the text says that they were all amazed. And if we look carefully, there is a subtle, implicit question in Jesus' Jesus answer. You see, Jesus made it clear that Caesar's image was on the Roman coin. And so Jesus says, give to Caesar's what is Caesar's. But let me ask you this. Where is God's image? Where is God's image? God's image is on you. You are imprinted with the image of God. And we give to God what belongs to God. And what belongs to God is our unmitigated loyalty to God and to God's kingdom. To the Pharisees and the Herodians, I mean, Jesus essentially says to them that their secondary concern should be their political view. But first and foremost, remember that you are a citizen of God's kingdom, and this is where our ultimate loyalty should reside. You see, there may be two parties, there may be two different viewpoints, but ultimately, there's only one kingdom. There's a story uh, about a time when I used to live in Peru, and I had a chance to attend uh, some soccer games live at the stadium. It was, it was a magnificent experience, exciting, full of energy. And I loved going to these games whenever I could, because if you know anything about Latin American football, it's that they're fans. They take it serious. I mean, these are some diehard fans. I mean, if you go to the game, it's emotional, it's passionate. And it can be dangerous if the wrong team wins. Uh, the funny thing about my experiences going to these games was that almost every time as I was walking into the stadium, I would get approached by the local news station to be interviewed for the pregame interview. I, I guess because it was a little out of the ordinary to see someone like me there. I mean, it's, it's not every day that a tall white guy is, is walking into a Latin American soccer stadium. And so I guess they thought it was good enough TV to interview the white guy and put it on the pregame show. But there, there was this one time that I was actually going to watch what they call a Clásico, 
which is when two rival teams play each other. And just like rivalry games here, with these games, there's a notch up in intensity, the emotion, and there's a notch up in police presence just in case things get out of hand. But this Clásico was between the two biggest teams in Lima. Alianza Lima was one team and La U was the other. And as you can imagine, there's some bad blood between these two teams. So as we were walking in the stadium, I got stopped by the TV crew again for a pregame interview. And as I'm being interviewed about where I'm from and how long I've been in Peru, I began to notice hey, there's a crowd beginning to form to watch my interview. And on one side, I noticed a group of Alianza Lima fans were forming and they were listening. And then on the other side, there was a group of La U fans and they were also interested in the interview. But before the interview was over, the reporter asked one final question to me. He said, okay, so before you go, I want to know who do you hope wins today? Are you a fan of Alianza Lima? Are you a fan of La U? Well, I look out and I see the fans of Alianza Lima leaning in to hear what I'm going to say. I look at the other side and I hear, I see the fans of La U leaning in to hear what I'm going to say. And I realize this reporter put me in a tough position because either way, I'm going to make one of these groups upset. I mean, just like Jesus and the question from the Pharisees and the Herodians, I mean, it's a tough place to be in. I didn't know what to say because I knew Whatever I said, I would make one group angry. But in the last minute, something came to my mind, and I looked at the reporter, and I said, I am a fan of the Peruvian national soccer team. And when I said this, both of the groups erupted in cheers, and they began to clap. They, they liked my answer because although they were fans of their respective teams, they were all Peruvians. And they all supported the Peruvian national soccer team. There was unity in their ultimate allegiance to the Peruvian national soccer team. And I was able to walk away to live another day. And essentially in Mark 12, Jesus says to the Pharisees and to the Herodians that ultimately there is one kingdom and that we, all of us, we are citizens of this kingdom where Jesus is king. And looking at this further, if we declare Jesus, Jesus as our king and our Lord, three things can happen. Number one, if Jesus is our king, we will not over-identify with any political party. We'll not over-identify. We give to God what is God's and we belong to God. So we are first and foremost disciples of King Jesus, not of a partisan platform. Does this mean that Christians shouldn't join a political party? No. I mean, one thing I love about Skillman is that this body consists of supporters of several different political parties. I mean, there are Republicans, there's Democrats, there's Libertarians. There are also people who are not affiliated at all with the party. And as Americans, we Christians, we have a unique blessing of actually being able to influence the direction of our country. So no, it's, it's not wrong to be a part and support a particular political party. But what this does say is as Christians, as disciples of King Jesus, ultimately, our allegiance is to the practices and principles of God's kingdom, not the political party. And with election season approaching, this is extremely important for us to remember because here in a few weeks and in months, it's going to get dirty. The rhetoric will be accusatory and everything we hear and see will be designed to promote a political agenda. I mean, one way or the other, it's going to be tense and the news are going to try to keep our eyes glued to the television by selling fear. But as Christians, 
If Jesus is our king and we are ultimately aligned with the kingdom of God, our role is different. If our primary allegiance is to the kingdom of God, then we'll use our our influence to help the political party we support affirm the platforms and initiatives that align with the kingdom of God. In the same way, we'll also seek to be agents of reform and devote energies to change the political agendas of the party we support that don't align with the kingdom of God and the teachings of Jesus. So consider this as a possibility, that as someone who is first and foremost devoted to the kingdom of God, who is affiliated with the, with the Republican Party, your duty as an American follower of Jesus is to hold those you vote for and put into office accountable to the standards and principles of the kingdom of God. Or if you're someone who is aligned with the Democrat Party, who is blessed to be a Christian here in America, your obligation then is to hold the people you supported and put into office accountable to the standards and principles of the kingdom of God and the teachings of Jesus. By implication, what this means for all of us is that if your primary allegiance is to the kingdom of God, your condemnation, your criticism will not be focused on the party or people you didn't support or help put in the office, but rather your focus is on the party you did support and those you did help get into office. And perhaps it would be healthy for us to ponder this. Could it be that if we find ourselves spending most of our time condemning the party we didn't support, or in anger pointing to the faults of those who, didn't, who we didn't vote into office? Could it be an indication that we are actually giving to Caesar what should be given to God? A, a beautiful thing about the church, as Jesus intended, is that a lifelong Democrat and a lifelong Republican can break bread together. They can embrace each other when they meet and show love all the time. To God's glory, they prove to the world that the power of the cross that draws them together as brothers and sisters in God's family is greater than anything that might pull them apart. Just like those sucker fans who found unity in the national team, we as Christians find our unity and our shared citizenship to the kingdom of heaven. And the diversity of political thought among Christians is actually, it can make the church stronger. There was this article in Christianity Today by Duke professor Christina Cleveland that said, the people who have the clearest view on our biases are our sisters and brothers in Christ who hold divergent political views. We must look to them to show us our biases and we must listen in a time when political views threaten to further divide the body of Christ Each part of the body needs the others to see the full truth. My friends, if Jesus is our king, it's important then that we actively love all, especially those in Christ who have a different political viewpoint than we do. It helps with our blind blind spots as well. It helps us grow. It helps our own party greater align with the teachings of Jesus. It's like what John F. Kennedy once said Let us not seek the Republican answer or the Democrat answer, but the right answer. Or put another way, better to be put on the right side of the truth than the right side of the aisle. 
Secondly, if Jesus is our king, we also won't under-identify either. We won't under-identify because government does matter. There was this op-ed article recently in the Dallas Morning News by Tony Evans, and he mentioned that within society, there are three key institutions found in Scripture that hold considerable influence for bringing about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. First is the family, second is the church, and third is the government. And even though our primary allegiance is to the kingdom of God, we can't just turn a blind eye to the matters of our city, our state, our nation, and our world. It's important who was elected. It's important what laws are put in place, and we're encouraged to be involved in the community, to vote. Over the past several months as well, during our season of advocating hope, we've seen in Scripture that there are systems in our society that need to be challenged. There is legislation that needs to be reformed. There are gross imbalances and injustices that need to be addressed through policy changes so that we can more effectively seek justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God. And finally, if Jesus is our king, we must live in hope and let go of the fear of the future because as citizens of the kingdom of God, Jesus is our king. And if we put our faith and hope in this story, we know where this is all heading and we know who ultimately wins. The truth is, is that presidents come and go. Leaders rise and fall, but the kingdom of God and King Jesus is eternal. I mean, have you ever thought about why it is that we name our sons Peter and John? We name our dogs Nero and our salads Caesar? I mean, when King Jesus came, he ushered, in, he ushered in a new kingdom where love and justice reign, where greed, hate, and death do not have the last word. And we read in Isaiah that with King Jesus, eventually the swords will turn into plowshares and the wolves of this world will lie down with the lamb. And that those who hope in this kingdom will renew their strength and they will soar on wings like eagles and they will not be faint. This is good News, And we don't have to be anxious and fearful about who wins the election because ultimately we know where this is going. We can have peace and hope. Friends, we are citizens of God's kingdom and Jesus is our king. We are citizens of God's kingdom and Jesus is our king. May we stop looking for our pastors to be politicians and stop depending on our politicians to be our pastors. As election season approaches and as the rhetoric becomes polarizing, may we remember that first and foremost, as citizens of God's kingdom, we are to hold our respective parties accountable to the standards of the teachings of Jesus. May we support and affirm the policies that align with the principles of the kingdom of God, and may we seek to be agents of reform and change those that do not align with the kingdom of God in our own parties. And may we view the political diversity we have in this congregation as a blessing. May we find our unity first and foremost at the foot of the cross that draws people of every tribe, every language, every culture together in humility and gratitude for the amazing grace we've all received from Jesus Christ, our Lord. May we have hope in what God is up to in his kingdom and not place our ultimate hope in whoever is elected, but rather in the one who has defeated death, 
King Jesus. May our hope be built on nothing less than King Jesus' blood and righteousness. Let's sing together.